So if you're just jumping into this, we are in Jacob part six. And what you need to know is that Jacob was a man who lived around 1800 to 1700 BC. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob's name was also known as Israel. And so Jacob or Israel's 12 sons formed the 12 tribes of what would be the nation of Israel. What we've seen in this series is that Jacob, though he is prominent and important, he is by no means perfect. He's the anti-hero. He's not someone who's perfect. He's a deceiver. He's flawed in many ways. And yet God molded him. God worked through him. And in the last couple of weeks, what we've seen is Jacob is growing and starting a family. He got married twice at the same time. Uh, he's married to Leah and Rachel, who were sisters, and his father-in-law is Laban. And what we saw last week is Rachel and Leah started having kids, lots and lots of kids, and they even brought their servants in to help, have them, help make them some kids. It's complicated, but you can tune into last week's message if you missed it. And where we're at today is Jacob has a family, a big family, a growing family, and it's getting to the point where he's... He's getting so much stuff in his life that he has to start setting boundaries. He has so many things going on that he has to start saying no to other things. And the same is true of me and you. When your responsibilities in life begin to grow, 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 you will need to set boundaries and say no to things that you once said yes to. Um, and, and so boundaries are a regular part of life. And so you might wonder, what is a boundary? And what are we talking about? A boundary is simply a rule that defines how someone or something will fit into your life. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. And maybe an example is cell phones. Uh, maybe the first time you had a smartphone, you're like, this is amazing. There's millions of apps I can download and choose from and millions of ways to spend your time. But you quickly realized you need boundaries. And so maybe you set screen time limits. A good rule of thumb is that anything limited needs boundaries. Anything that is limited needs boundaries. Your time is limited, so you need to set boundaries for how you, set, how you spend it. Your finances are limited, so you need to set boundaries. Some of you need to set more boundaries for how you spend it. Your emotional being is limited. Your relational capacity is limited. And so what we're going to see today as Jacob grows his family is that he begins to realize he really needs to set more boundaries with the people in his life. And this gets really complicated. But what we're going to learn is this. We're going to see what happened when Jacob failed to set the boundaries and live by them. And we're also going to see some truths emerge that will help you set some healthy boundaries this week. My disclaimer is this. Whenever you talk about setting boundaries with people in your life, it gets really complicated. I'm not going to attempt to give wisdom that applies to every situation. If you have complicated things in your life where you need to set boundaries, I encourage you, bring other people in, people who know what they're talking about. I can't do that. But what I can do is I can guide you through the story of Jacob and show you what happened to him and what God did through him. 
And by the end of the message, I hope you can walk out of here with some godly biblical principles for why it's important to set boundaries and how you can do that this week. So here's where we pick up from, from last week. Jacob is having a family. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, the 11th son, and there's also a daughter named Dinah, after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to his father-in-law Laban, and the other thing you need to know is that um, Jacob has been working for Laban for about 20 years now. Laban's been dishonest. He's been keeping Jacob around, keeping his family around. And Jacob, Laban has always found a way to make Jacob stay. And so Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. You know how I worked seven years to get Rachel's hand in marriage and then you made me work another seven because you deceived me out of it. You know how I've worked for you Decades of my life. You know all I've done for you. And so a, a loving father-in-law would do what? Oh, my son, go. You've done so much for me, so much for the household. You, you're a grow, you, you have a growing family. Go make your own life. But instead, Laban says this. If I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. Begs him to stay. I have learned by divination... Divination means he went to some prophet, prophetess, or sorcerer outside of God. He learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. You're good luck. It's good luck to have you around. Please stay. Please stay. Name your wages and I will pay them. And Jacob steps back and he said, no, 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 no. He continues, you know that I've, how I've worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. It's been all about you, 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 you. But now when may I do something for my own household? Again, Laban should lean in and say, you're right. You've done so much. You go start your household. But Laban counters with an offer Jacob can't resist. Name it. What shall I give you? Name the price. And he, he continues to lure Jacob in. And so Jacob begins by saying, no, don't give me anything. But then Jacob says, wait, wait, there is one thing. This might be a lucrative deal for me. You know, I'm, I need to set my boundaries, but I'm willing to step over them if you do this. Let me go through all your livestock, all your flocks today, and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. And just a side note, if you're at someone's house and they're giving you a Minnesota goodbye, and you can't get out, just try this. <laughs> They'll look at you funny and you should probably leave. <laughs> Jacob says, give me all these animals that have defects in their colors, specks, spots, whatever you call them. And apparently this was a good deal for Laban or it was worth it. And so Laban just says, agreed. They shake hands. Let it be as you have said. And so Jacob went off and did just that. He got all the speckled, spotted sheep, goats, lambs, and he, he set them aside and he did something interesting. He, he kept Laban's flock where it was, but then he moved his flock three days away. So there's no confusion. These are separate things. And then he got crafty. 
Jacob found a way to have Jacob's flock give birth to strong, speckled, spotted sheep and goats. And so he would take the surplus that he was now breeding from this flock and sending it three days away to his own flock. And so what you see happening is Laban's flock gets weaker and weaker. Jacob's flock gets bigger and stronger. And Jacob found a loophole in the system. Have you ever done that? You really wanted to leave, but someone convinced you, compelled you to stay. And so you said, since you're making me stay, I'm going to make you pay. Maybe it was just a bad attitude where you were going to make them pay. Maybe it was something in a company where you found a way to make them pay. Jacob found a way to, well, Genesis uh, chapter 43, uh, verse 43 says this, in this way, Jacob grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. He was wealthy, crazy rich. Would you be bothered if you were him? You already got the fair deal, but then you went and manipulated the system so that you could get more and more and more. You prospered at someone else's expense. One thing we need to know about this is that somehow God's hand was in this. He allowed this to happen. But a a caution for you and for me is that there will be times when you go out of bounds. And you're going to do that because someone else is not respecting your boundaries or you haven't set the boundaries and so you're just reacting with, with passive, aggressive, whatever it is. And so you, you, you cross a line that you know you shouldn't cross, but it doesn't bother you anymore. You, you say, well, they, they deserve this. I deserve this. They're going to pay for making me stay. So what we need to, the first thing we need to learn from this is that your boundaries need attention when going out of bounds doesn't bother you anymore. You start to cross lines that don't bother you, that's, that's your cue to say, I need to pay attention to where my boundaries are set. And as a follower of Jesus, this takes on a whole different level because not only is it abiding by the rules and doing what's legal, because like technically what Jacob did was legal, But as a follower of Jesus, you are called to the law of love to do what's in their best interest more than what's in your best interest, to sacrifice what you have for their sake. That's where God has set the boundary for you. And when you're not bothered by crossing that, that's a sign for you to consider where you have put your boundaries in life, how you you consider how things fit into your life. So Jacob is in precarious territory. He's growing, he's becoming prosperous, but it comes at a cost. Because Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned. I don't know why, that's kind of creepy. Jacob (laughs) has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. In other words, Jacob isn't just taking what belongs to our father, but what belongs to our father will one day belong to us. So maybe Jacob didn't see this. He just saw that he was getting rich, but he didn't think there's other people that he's affecting. And so Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Laban grew suspicious. He knew Jacob was being deceptive, but he didn't quite know how. Jacob was playing by the rules, but at the same time, somehow breaking them. 
And so seeing everything that was now about to happen, God intercedes. Verse three, the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. Go back to your father, Isaac, who never really loved you. Go back to your brother Esau, who wants to kill you. Because it's better to be with them than what you, to stay with what you've created for yourself here with Laban. And again, God, so full of compassion and mercy, says, doesn't say, figure it out for yourself. God says, I will be with you. It's time for you to go home. And sometimes God will make it too uncomfortable to stay where you are so that he can lead you to where he wants you to be. Ultimately, God didn't want Jacob to stay with Laban because God had a country set for Jacob's descendants, the land of Canaan, the, what would become the nation of Israel. And God needed to get him out of Haran down into Canaan. And maybe for, for, for some of you this week too, you've been setting your boundary where you shouldn't be. You've, you've claimed a place where God doesn't want you to stay. And if he's making it uncomfortable, reconsider where you've drawn your boundaries. So he says to Jacob, time to leave. Let's go. So Jacob does. Jacob put his children and his wives on camels. And he drove, I'm sure they argued over who got the Cadillac and who got the, the Toyota Camry. But um, he drove all of his livestock ahead of him, along with all the goods he had accumulated in Paddan Aram, also known as Haran, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. And he did this without telling anyone. He went to his, his wives and he said, it's time to go. God has told me he'll be with me. We need to leave this place. Uh, your, your dad is crazy. <laughs> um, and they said, yeah, he's, he's burnt, he, he sold us and now he's burned through all of his money. So what do we have here? There's nothing holding us here anymore. So Rachel, Leah, they, they agree that the kids, they're all packed up, ready to go. They get in the, the caravan, they leave. But Jacob didn't tell anyone. You know, it's as if Laban wouldn't notice that now this family of whatever is gone and all the cattle are gone and no one's watching his sheep anymore. And so what happened is it actually took him a few days. But when Laban had gone to shear his sheep, um, one thing that happened before they left is Rachel stole her father's household gods. We're not sure why she did this. Some people say, well, she wanted to somehow win him away from his polytheistic ideas, but, but she ended up keeping them, as we'll see in a moment. Um, some say that maybe these gods were a sign of the, the inheritance, that this was a deed to the property somehow. Like these gods were the god of this land, and so maybe she was trying to take that with her. We're, we're not entirely sure, but we do know that she learned some tips from Jacob. She did it secretly. Nobody knew. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him he was running away. So Laban was stolen from, he was disrespected. And there's something important here. Jacob never told him. So pretend you're Laban for a moment. Got this wonderful family, mostly wonderful family. Your son-in-law, Jacob, your, your, your daughters are, are living in, in, your, in your estate They've got all their things. It's, it's such a blessing for you to have them because it's like he's this good luck charm and nothing ever goes bad. And all of a sudden, without any warning, they're all gone. 
And more than that, they've stolen some of your things. So now Laban must be thinking, wait a minute, what is going on? Is Jacob going crazy? You know, is he upset that my daughters aren't having any more kids for him? And so now he's going to go off to some other land and get some more wives and have more kids. All these scenarios were going through Laban's mind and it caused, as we're about to see, it caused outrage, fury, confusion. Jacob had to set a boundary. He had to honor it, but by not telling anyone, he only made things worse. So what we learn is that boundaries are most effective when they can be communicated. When you've got a relationship with someone and things need to change, you can do it in one of two ways. You can just implement the change without telling them, or you can sit down and in a lovingly honest way, acknowledge that you are a limited person and you can only give so much. And here's where you're setting the boundaries. Would you please respect that? And that's hard. That is awkward. But if you don't take that step, what I know is that it's one thing for you to establish a, a border, but it's another thing for everyone to respect that border and to know about it. And this is where things get complicated because you can't always communicate your boundaries with people because there's some things that people can do to you where you just need to make distance and have nothing to do with them. And so the takeaway is communicate it with somebody. Tell them, this is where I'm setting my boundary and here's why. Does this sound wise to you? Is this a good idea? Who should I let know? Who should I not let know? This can be complicated, but in one way or another, what we learn from Jacob, it's good to talk about. It's good to communicate. Not that it's easy, but it avoids so much pain in the future. And after all, if you're a follower of Jesus, one of the most loving things you can do for yourself and for the people around you is to set boundaries. But one of the most unloving things you can do is to not tell others where they are. So boundaries are most effective when they can be communicated. And then finally, Laban finds out what happens. He was off shearing sheep. We're not sure where he had to go or how you know, involved this was, but we know it took him three days to hear what had happened. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. He's got a three-day head start. So taking his relatives with him, Laban pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. So this picture, they're coming up to this hill country with these high places, and off in the distance, he sees Jacob. So Laban brings his relatives, they set up camp, and I'm sure it's awkward. It's, you know, it's like you go, go off to be by yourself somewhere, and then someone else just parks right by you, or they're right by you. So Laban set up camp, like right there. Like, <laughs> and so they're both at Gilead in this, in this place up in the mountain area, and Laban finally walks over, and he says to Jacob, what have you done? You've deceived me, dishonored me, the patriarch of the family, and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. You drove them off against their will. He's manipulating. You drove them off against their will, and the grandkids had to see it. You've done a foolish thing. How dare you deceive me? How dare you disrespect me? And on top of it, you've stolen my gods. 
I had my household gods and now they are gone. What is this you have done to me? Now, there will be people in your life who just can't see things from your perspective. And for Jacob, Laban was one of them. Laban could not see things from Jacob's perspective. And Jacob didn't make things any better. Laban continues, he says, I have the power, the authority to harm you, but lucky you. Last night, the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you have, you've longed to return to your father's household. But why did you steal my gods? I, maybe I get it, you ran off, but why did you have to take my gods? Why did you deceive me and steal from me? And he's projecting all these things onto Jacob. And so Jacob responds, I was afraid because Laban, you're the kind of guy who would do this. I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. I thought as soon as I told you I was leaving, you would say, fine, Jacob, good riddance. Leave your daughters, leave your wives here because they're my daughters. Leave your grandkids here, leave your kids here because they're my grandkids. Good riddance, you can leave, but they're staying. I was afraid you were going to do that to me, and so I ran off. But if you find, in other words, I own that. I did it. But if you find anyone who has your gods, that person shall not live. See for yourself whether there is anything of ours with me here, and if so, take it. Now, now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods, so he's getting himself in a predicament. Long story short, Laban goes around the camp, searches all the things. Um, have you ever been to the airport and they have to do a search on you? or they have to take your luggage and open it up in front of everyone and sort through all your things. Oh, underwear here, you know. Isn't that humiliating when people just go through your stuff? Laban goes through the entire camp, searching everything. And finally, he comes to Rachel's tent. And Rachel had hidden the gods in a saddle. And long story short, she made an excuse for why she had to stay seated where she was. She said it was her time of the month and it would be unclean and pure of her for her to stand up. And so Laban looked around, he didn't find anything and he comes back to Jacob with empty hands. <sighs> Found nothing. And I love this next verse. It's, there's just so much passion, energy, and emotion in it. Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. And you're like rubbing your hands. Oh yeah, lay into him. What is my crime? He asked Laban. How have I wronged you that you hunt me down? And in this moment, something becomes clear. Jacob has been wronged. He, in other places, describes how Laban had been a bully to him, a narcissist. Whenever Jacob did something that benefited Jacob, Laban would change the rules. Whenever Laban gave a promise and said, this is how it'll be, Laban would go back on that promise. Jacob had to spend night and day watching over Laban's flock. And anytime an animal was taken off by a wild animal, Jacob would replace it with his own. Jacob, from all outward perspectives, was flawless. There was no reason to bring charge against him. And so he lays into Laban, took him to task. What is my crime? 
And the other, there's other, another thing that's true too. Laban has been wronged. He's been lied to. He's been deceived. He's been stolen from, but he doesn't even know that part. But what he knows is that Jacob has not been perfect with his family. The way he's treated his daughters, the suspicion around him, he knows this guy is no good for his family. And so Laban just responds with this. He says, the women, your wives, are my daughters. The children are my grandkids. Everything that you have, all the animals I see, they're mine. Yet, what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children they have born? If, if I were to harm them or take them, it would only harm myself. So it was at an impasse, like, how can we make this right? I don't know. And so Laban comes up with an idea. Jacob, come now, let's make a covenant. Let's make an agreement, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. Uh, a witness means it'll be this rule by which we will operate or a boundary. Jacob, let's make a boundary that will determine how this relationship will work from here on out. And so Jacob wasted no time. He took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And then Laban would have done the same. So both sides doing the same thing. He set it up as a pillar. He, he said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them up in a heap and they ate there by the heap. Uh, Jacob, uh, Laban called it Jagar Sahadutha, and Jacob called it Galid. They couldn't even agree on a name for this place. Uh, what Laban does is he uses the Aramaic version, and Jacob calls it the Hebrew version. Both of them mean um, witness place, place of witness, a boundary. And I looked up the Hebrew word for heap, and it just means heap. There's nothing special about it. Um, it's literally just a big pile of rocks, you know, kind of a symbolic thing. Sometimes when someone would die, they would heap rocks on them, and that would kind of serve as their burial site. But this is just a heap, a heap of rocks that would stand as a witness or a boundary between the two. And now they need to assign it significance. What does this mean? So Laban said, this heap is a witness. That's literally what the Hebrew word galid and the other Aramaic word means. Witness heap. This, is a, this heap is a witness between you and me today. It's a boundary. May the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take any wives besides my daughters, which is really ironic because he's the guy who forced Jacob into polygamy in the first place, even though no one is with us, remember that God is watching God is witness between you and me. So Laban is placing his, his terms on Jacob. Interesting that, that Laban calls on the Lord because we know that Laban is by no means a Lord worshiper. He is a polytheist. He has gods. He has a very liberal view of, of spiritual things. And yet when it suits him, he says, God, your God is watching you wherever you go. And then he says this, may the, may the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, we don't see that name too often. Nahor was the brother of Abraham. Abraham followed the Lord. Nahor did not. Abraham was the grandfather of Jacob. Nahor was the grandfather of Laban. So he's trying to find common ground. May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, our great grandfather, may he judge between us. 
He's trying to find common ground. And so Jacob, he's, I mean, would you agree to this? <laughs> Someone is trying to make a boundary with you and they're like, I call on all these gods to watch over this arrangement and this agreement. And Jacob is like, I can't agree to that. And so instead of trying to sit down for a starting point class and teach Laban all these things about God and who God is, Laban, or Jacob does something so intelligent. He just gives a testimony for what he believes. Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac, which is a really weird uh, phrase. It might mean one of two things. One, fear is a, like another word for God. So he's taking an oath in the name of the God of Isaac. Another way to think about it is he's telling Laban, I'm going to return to my dad. And he's going to keep an eye on me. And so in the name of my father, out of fear of him, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to honor our agreement today. Either way, Jacob makes it clear that he agrees to this boundary, this witness heap. And so he offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. They ate together, and after that, they spent the night there. And this would be the last time the family of Laban would be with the family of Jacob. Because early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters. I love this. It's the same order today. Happy to see the grandkids. Oh, my kids are here too. That's nice. Grandparents understand what I'm talking about. Kiss his grandchildren. Oh, kids, you're here too. So he, you know, kissed them too. And then he blessed them. And another way to view this Hebrew word is it's a, maybe a way of saying farewell. He said farewell to them. Good riddance. And he left and returned home. And there's two important things to take from this. Laban still needed some work. And what I know is that when you need to set a boundary with someone who still needs work, you can feel really guilty. You might even think, well, God placed them in my life so that I could help them. Maybe it's just a physical help. Maybe it's an emotional help. Maybe it's a spiritual help or a financial help. And you feel guilty because you think it's my responsibility to take, care, to take care of them. Some of you haven't set a boundary because you feel responsible for them. And again, this is where things get complicated. I'm trying to make general principles that just help you get thinking. Some of us have failed to set a boundary because we feel a sense of duty to the other person. And Jacob could have done the same thing. Laban needs me. He needs me to take care of his flock. He needs to be close to his grandkids and his, his children. He needs me. I can't set this boundary. Who am I to take that from him? But Jacob needed to set the boundary for his own health and for the health of his household. And Jacob was not responsible for what Laban did on his side of the heap. And when you're in a situation like Jacob and you have a person like Laban, you are not responsible for what happens on the other side of the heap. Trying to be careful. I don't want to make over, oversimplify a very complicated topic, but if you're in a situation like Jacob's and you're dealing with somebody like Laban, you are not responsible for what happens on their side. And as you consider that, maybe that gives you some relief, that God is not expecting you to be everything for them. At some point, they need to figure things out 
And maybe your boundary will be what brings them back to God. But what happens on their side is not your responsibility and you are not held accountable for them. The other thing this brings up is that from that day forward, there was a heap between Jacob and Laban. A heap that ultimately formed the border of a nation. And what this reminds me of is that there is, there's also this heap between us and God. This heap that we were born with. And it's this heap of sin that tells God, you shall not go past. God in his holiness cannot be in the presence of who we've become. And as if that weren't worse, each day it's like we add to that heap. We are powerless to take it away. All we can do is add to it, add to it, add to it. And so there is this heap, this boundary between sinful mankind and the holy God. And what happens on our side is our fault. So God should just walk off and go his way, leaving that boundary in place. Um, That reminds me of a story I heard about three best friends who were soldiers in World War II, fighting on the Allied side. Uh, These soldiers were in France, and unfortunately, one of these best friends died one day. And rather than just burying him in a random field, they saw that there was a beautiful church nearby with a beautiful cemetery in the field. So the two remaining soldiers knocked on the door and they asked the priest, could we please bury our friend here? And the priest asked them, was he a member of our church? To which the two men said, no. And the priest said, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to bury him here because this is sacred ground. It's only for the members of our church. And so those two men did the next best thing. They went just outside the fence of the cemetery and buried their friend there. Next morning, these two men got up early in the morning and they wanted to pay their final respects before they left. And so they went to the cemetery and walked along the fence, but they could not find where they had buried him. They looked and looked, they couldn't find him. And so they knocked on the door and asked the priest, we buried our friend right over there yesterday and we can't find him. Did did you do something? And the priest said, yeah, I did. I was thinking about what happened. And last night, I was tossing and turning in my bed about how horrible I felt for not letting you bury your friend here. And so last night, I decided to get up and move the fence. And God did something very similar for you. God can't just move the heap to make enough space so that you just get in. But what God did was he moved the fence so that he could walk across it. And when Jesus walked on this earth, there was one thing he made clear. The sinfulness of mankind had to be dealt with. You couldn't go over it. You couldn't go through it. Sin had to be taken away. And so while we need to set boundaries because we are limited God's grace has no limit. And so he moved the fence to bring you in. He took away the heap. And when you just dig into that truth, 
day after day after day. God took away my sin. The more you come to God every day and you acknowledge, God, I'm sorry, I've been adding to that heap. (laughs) Would you please take it away again? And God, his grace has no limit. There is no boundary for when you've run out of grace. And so, unfortunately, on this side of heaven, we will need to make boundaries because we are limited with our time, our finances, and how we can connect with people. We need rules in place that determine how people can fit into our lives, and sometimes those boundaries will fall in hard places. But there's one thing we need to keep in mind. Even when you need to draw the line, set up your heap, keep Jesus in that heap. Or a way to think about it, keep the cross on your side of the heap. Because you can't control what they do. You can't you know, determine what they do, but you can control your side. And you can say, this is where I need to set the boundary and here's why. But more than anything, I'm keeping Jesus present in this so that when people that I have to set a boundary with, they might be disappointed in me, they might be angry at me, but that has to go through Jesus before it gets to me. He declares that where I am weak, there he is strong. And so as I view this other person from my perspective and I think about what they've done to me or why this, why this boundary needs to be in place, I can't look at them without first seeing Jesus and how his grace is always enough for them and I am always to love them even though there is this boundary between us. And I know this isn't easy, but it's important because every time we go out of bounds, God's grace is enough to bring us in. So as you think about the boundaries you might need to put up in your life this week, first remember how God's grace has no limit, both for you and for the people around you. Would you communicate with the people? If you can't talk to the person you have a boundary with, would you at least talk with other people who are objective, who aren't just gonna take your side and say, yeah, you're right. Talk to people, bring them along with it. But more than anything, keep Jesus in the middle. And we're going to pick it up there next week as we see what happens when Jacob journeys home to his father and his brother. We're going to see what God does in the journey. Let's pray. Dear, dear Father in heaven, a life can be really complicated. It's seemingly simple to manage our time and energy and set boundaries for those things, but it can be very complicated for how we can lovingly set boundaries for the people in our lives. There are some people that we just need to distance ourselves from and have nothing to do with, but there are some people that will be a part of our life no matter what. Would you give us forgiveness for the times we've set boundaries selfishly for our own best interests with no one else in mind? Would you give us wisdom to discern where we need to set a new line so that we can pursue what you've called us to do? And would you also give us the humility to take away a boundary we've put in place that doesn't belong there anymore? Fill us with people in our lives that can help guide us through these complicated issues. But more than anything, where a boundary is needed, let Jesus be in the middle of it. We pray all this in his name. Amen.